Stamps.com. Postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Click instantly buy and calculate exact postage. Print, print postage, labels, envelope, or plain paper. Mail a fixed postage and mail anywhere in the world. Give Stamps.com a try. Get $5 of free postage. Check out for details on Stamps.com. Corporate postage solutions have more than two locations. The Stamps.com Enterprise is postage solution for you. Shipping solutions process and print shipping labels fast. Enjoy shipping discounts and more. Stamps.com versus postage meters. The choice is clear. Stamps.com offers more features at a fraction of the cost. Approved licensed vendor of USPS. Save big with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com is an independent vendor of the USPS and UPS. Here's how it works. Open Stamps.com account. Simply click the Get Started button to sign up for Stamps.com and get access to all the services of the postal right from your computer 24-7. Even get discounts you can't get at the post office. Try that with $5 free postage. Stamps.com will give you four weeks to see if they are right for you. Stamps.com is so confident you'll like them. You'll also throw on and Throw in $5 free postage to use during the four weeks. Don't pay unless you stay. Cancel your account online or call 1-855-608-2677 to cancel within the four-week trial period and pay no service fee. The monthly fee for it is just $17.99 plus applicable taxes. If any, including the first month, your service will continue uninterrupted as long as you got as long as you do not cancel. Your 24-7 post office. Send invoices, letters, packages, print official UPS postage, UPS, USPS postage, domestic or international, no more guesswork, how much postage, what mail, class, stamps.com will figure it out for you. You can limit trips to the post office, anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk 24-7. Do more than a postage meter for less, avoid hidden fees, equipment, insurance, and there's no extra hardware to buy or lease. Better pay full price for stamps again. Get postage discounts you can't even get at the post office. Customer support, always ready to help. Available by phone, email, or chat. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. PT. Not just for small office mailing, mailing locations, solutions, shipping solutions, and warehouse solutions. Chapter 28 of Lower Ingalls Wilders A Long Winter, Title for Daily Bread. In the third night of that storm, a stillness woke Almanzo. The blizzard had stuck. He reached out through the cold to his vest hanging on a chair, got out his watch and a match, and saw that the time was nearly three o'clock. In winter's dark, cold mornings, he still missed his father's routing him out of bed. Now he had to add himself out of warm blankets into the cold. He must light the lantern, stir up the fire, and break the ice in the water pail himself. He could not, and he could not, and he could choose between getting his own breakfast and going hungry. Three o'clock on winter mornings was the only time that he was not glad to be free and independent. Once out of bed and into his clothes, though he liked early morning better than any other part of the day, the air was fresher than that at any other time. Low in the eastern sky hung the morning star. Temperatures 10 below zero and the wind blew steadily. The day promised to be fair. When he rode down Main Street on the hay sled, the sun had not yet risen, but the morning star had melted in a 
in an upward rush of light, the Ingle building stood solid black against the end of eastern prairie covered with snow. Down 2nd Street, beyond it, it, the two stables with their case stacks looked small, and beyond them, Carlin's little house had a speck of white in its kitchen. Cap Garland came riding up on a sled, driving his buckskin gelding. He waved to Alonzo, and Alonzo lifted his own arms, stiff in the weight of his woolen sleeves. The faces were wrapped in muffles, and there was no need to say anything. Three days ago, before the last blizzard struck, they had made their plan. Alonzo drove on without stopping, and Cap Garland swung the buckskin into Main Street behind him. At the end of the Short Street, Amonzo turned southeast across the neck of Big Slough. At its narrowest place, the sun was rising, the sky was a thin, cold blue, and the earth to its far horizon was covered with snow just below, flushed pink and faintly shadowed with blue. The horse's breath made a white cloud about his head. The only sounds were the dumping of Prince's hoofs on the hard snow and the wrath of the sled runners. There was not a track on the waves of snow, not a print of rabbit's paw or a bird's paw cloth. There was no trace of a road, no sign that any living thing had ever been on the frozen snowfield where every curve was changed and unknown. The only, only the wind had furled them in tiny wavelets, each holding its own faint line of blue shadow, and the wind was blowing a spray of snow from every smooth, hard crest. There was something walking in the of that trackless sea where every shadow moved a little and the little blown snow spray confused the eye searching for a remote lost landmark. Amonzo judged directions and distance as well as he could where everything was changed and uncertain and he thought well we'll have to make it by guess and by golly. He guessed that he had struck the neck of the very big sleuth somewhere near the place where he crossed to haul hay. If he was right the snow underneath the sled he packed hard and in five minutes or less he would be safe on upland again. He glanced back, Cap was slowed the Cap had slowed the buckskin and was following at a cautious distance with no warning, Prince went down. Whoa, steady, Amonzo shouted through his muscle, but he shouted calmly and soothingly. Only a horse snorting head stuck up from the grassy air pocket in front of the sled. The sled ran on, sliding forward. There is no way to put brakes on a sled, but it stopped in time. Well, Prince, steady now, Ramonzo said, trying the reins from the steady, steady, very deep in snow. Prince stood still. Ramonzo jumped on the sled. He unhitched the whistle tree from the chain fastened to the sled's runners. Cap Gunner drove around him and stopped. Ramonzo went to Prince's head and wallowing down into the broken snow and tangling dead grass, he took hold of the reins under the bit. Steady, Prince, old fellow, steady, steady. He said it for his own thundering for frightening Prince again. Then he trampled down the snow until he could persuade Prince that it was firm enough to step on. Holding Prince by the bit, again he urged him forward till with a mighty heave he burst up out of the hole and Amato led him rapidly as climbing up out of the hole to the fall of snow again. He led him on the, to Cap Garner's sled and handed over the reins to Cap. Cap's light eyes showed that he was cheerfully grinning under the muffler, so that's the way you do it, he said. Not, nothing. Much to it, Amonzo replied. Fine day for a trip, trip, Cap remarked. Yep, it's a fine large morning, Amonzo agreed. Amonzo went to pull his empty sled sideways behind the large hole that Prince and he had made in the snow. He liked Cap Garland 
Cap was hard, light-hearted and merry, but he would fight his weight in Wildcat. When Cap Garland had reason to lose his temper, his eyes narrowed and glittered with a look that no man cared to stand up to. Amonzo had seen him make the toughest railroader back down. Taking a coil rope from the sled, Amonzo tied one end to the sled's chain, the other end he tied to the prince's whistle tree, and Prince helping him pull, pull his guided Helping him pull he pull, he guided the sled around the hole. He then he hitched threads to the sled, coiled the rope coiled the long rope again and drove on. Cap Gunner fell in behind him once more. He was really only a month younger than Amonzo. They were both nineteen because well because Amonzo had a homestead claim. Cap was was supposed to was that he was older than twenty one. Probably for that reason Cap retreated Captured Amanda with respect. Amanda had made no objection to that. Leading the way, he drove toward the sun until he was sure he had crossed Big Blue. Then he headed southward toward the Twin Lakes. Henry and Thompson, the only color now on the end of snowfields, was a pale reflection of the blue sky. Everywhere, tiny glints of sparkled sharply. The blue stared Amanda's eyes. Screwed almost shut in the slot between his cap and muffler, the icy wool blew out and sucked back against his nose and mouth with every breath. His hands grew too cold to feel the rain, so he shifted the rain from hand to hand, breaking the free arm against his chest to make blood flow for a minute. When his feet grew numb, he stepped off the sled and ran beside it, his heart pumping fast. He forced warmth to his feet until they tingled and itched and burned, and he jumped onto the sled again. Nothing left excess to warm you up, he shouted back to Cap. Let me in by the stove, Cap shouted, and he jumped out of the side and ran beside it. So they went on running, riding and bumping the chest, then running again while the horses briskly trotted. Say, how long do we keep this up? Cap once shouted once, joking. Do we find wheat or hell freezes? Amanda answered. You can skate on you can skate on it now, Cap shouted back. They went on, the rising sun poured down sunshine that seemed colder than the wind. There was no cloud in the sky, but the cold was steadily grew more intense. Prince went down the canyon in some unknown little slough. Cap drove up and stopped. Amanda and his prince caught him up from the firm snow. All of a sudden around the hole hitched up again. See the lone cottonwood anywhere ahead, he asked Cap. Nope, but I can't I can't depend on my eyes, Cap answered. The sun glare made them see black spots everywhere. They rewound the muscles, shifting the ice patches away from the raw faces to the far horizon. All around them, that was nothing but glittering snow and the cruel wind blowing. Lucky so far, Amanda said, gone down only twice. He stepped onto a sledge and started and heard Cap shout, swinging in to follow the bucks in had gone down. Cap dug him out, halt. Hauled the sled around the hole and hitched up again. Nothing like exercise to keep a fellow warm here, Marna Monzo. On the top of the next low swell, they saw the lone cottonwood bare and gaunt. Snow covered the twin lakes and the low bushes that grew between them. Only the lonely trees bare top rose up from the end of the whiteness. And as soon as he saw Amonzo turn against westward, Amanda turned west so quickly to keep well away from the sloughs around the lakes. 
On the upland grass, the snow was solid. The lone tree was the last landmark. It was soon lost again in the trackless waves of snow. There was no road to. There was no road, no trace, no track of any kind to be seen anywhere. No one knew where the settler lived. Who had raised wheat? No one was even sure that he was still in that country. It might be that he had gone out for the winter. It might be that there had never been such a man. There was only there was only a rumor that someone had told somebody that a man living somewhere in that region had raised wheat. One wave of the endless frozen snow sea was like one another beneath their snow spray blown from their skirts. The low prairie swells seemed to come on forever. All the same, the sun slowly rose higher and the cold increased. There was no sound but the horses' hoofs and the grass with the sled runners that made no tracks on the hard on the ice hard snow and the rushing sound of the wind that faintly whistled against the sled. From time to time, Armando looked back and kept shook his head. Neither of them saw any wisp of smoke against the cold sky. The small cold sun seemed to hang motionless, but it was climbing. The shadows narrowed, the waves of snow, and the furious curves seemed to flatten. The white wilderness leveled out, bleak and empty. How far are we going, Cap shouted. So we find that wheat, Armando called. So we, that he too was wondering whether there was any wheat in the endless. Emptiness. The sun was in the zenith. Was in the zenith. Now the day have gone. There was still no wheat in the west. Southwest of sky. There was still no threat in the southwest of sky. But it would be unusual to have more than this one clear day between blizzards. Amanda knew they should turn back toward town. Numb from the cold, he stumbled off the sled and ran on beside it. He did not want to go back to the hungry town to say that he had turned back with an empty sled. How far you figure we've come, Cap asked. About 20 miles, Monzo guessed. Think we'd, we'd better go back? Never give it till you're licked, Cap said cheerfully. They looked around. They were on up. They were on an upland. If the lower air had been a little hazy with a glitter of blowing snow, they could have seen perhaps 20 miles, but the prairie swells that seemed level under the high sun hit the town to the northwest. The northwest sky was still clear. Stepping their feet and beating their arms on their chest, they searched the white land from west to east. As far south as they could see, there was not a whiff of smoke anywhere. Which way we, which way will we go? Cap asked. Any ways as good as any other, Monzo said. They rewound their mufflers again. Their breath had m- filled the mufflers' eyes. They could hardly find a spot of wool to relieve the pain of ice on skin that it had chafed from. How are your feet? he asked Cap. They don't say. Cap replied, they'll be, they'll be all right, I guess. I'm going on running. So am I, Amanzo said. If they don't warm up pretty soon, we better stop and rub them with snow. Let's follow this swell west a ways. If we don't find anything that way, we can circle back farther south. Suits me, Cap agreed. That good horses went willingly into a trot and they ran on out on beside the sled. Sooner than they had expected, the snowfield sloped downward and spread into a flat hollow that the upland had hidden. It looked like a sluice. Amanda pulled Prince to a walk and got onto the sled to look the land over. The flat hollow ran on toward the west, 
He saw no way to get around it without turning back along the upland. Then he saw ahead the, and across the slough a spear of gray-brown in the snow flowing from a drift. He stopped Prince and yelled, Hi, Cap! That looks like smoke ahead there. Cap was looking. It looks like it comes out of a snowbank, he shouted. Alonzo drove on down the slope. After a few minutes, he called back. It's smoke, all right. There's some kind of house there. They had to cross the slope to reach it. In their hurry, Cap drove alongside Alonzo, and the buckskin went down. This was the deepest hole they had got a horse out of yet, and all around it was the, the snow broke down into air pockets under the surface till there seemed no end to their floundering. Shadows were beginning to creep eastward before they got the buckskin to solid footing and began to cautiously go on. Then the thin smoke did rise from the long snowbank and there was not a crack on the snow. But when they circled and came back to the southern side, they saw that the snow had been shoveled away before a door in a snowbank. They pulled up their sleds and shut it. The door opened and the man stood there astonished. His hair was long and his unshaven beard grew up to his cheekbones. Hello, hello, he cried. Come in, come in. Where did you come from? Where are you going? Come in. How long can you stay? Come right in. He was so excited that he did not wait for answers. We've got to take care of our horses first, Amalva answered. The man snatched on the coat and came out saying, Come right, come along, right over this way. Follow me. Where did you fellows come from? We just drove out from town, Cap said. The man led us way to a door in the snow, the snowbank. They told them their names while he unhitched and he said his name was Anderson. They led the horses into a warm, sound stable snug under the snowbank. The end of the stable was partitioned off with poles and a rough door, and grains of wheat had trickled through a crack. Hanzo and Cap loaded, looked at it and grinned at each other. They watered Prince and the buckskin from the well at the door, fed them oats, and left them tied to a manger full of hay beside Anderson's team of black horses. They followed Anderson to the house under the snowbank. The one room's low ceiling was made of poles covered with hay and sagging under the weight of the snow. The walls were soft. Anderson left the door ajar and let in a little light. I haven't got my window shoveled out ever out since the last blow, he said. There's no piles over that little one. That little rise to the northwest that covers me up. <coughs> The place is so warm I don't need much fuel. Sod houses are the warmest there are anyway. The room was warm and steamy from a kettle boiling on the stove. Anderson's dinner was on a rough table pulled against the wall. <coughs> he urged him to draw up and eat with him. <coughs> he had not seen a soul since last October. He had gone to town and brought some brought home some his winter supplies. Anderson and Monso and Cap sat down with him and ate heartily out of the boiled beans, sourdough biscuit, and dried applesauce. The hot food and the coffee warmed them and their snowy feet burned so painfully that they knew they were not frozen. Monso mentioned he mentioned actually that he and Cap might buy some wheat. I'm not selling anyway. Mr. Anderson bought All I read I I'm keeping for seed. Why are you buying wheat at this time for this time of year? He wanted to know. They had to tell him that the trains had stopped running and people in town were hungry. There's women and children that haven't had a square meal since before Christmas. The moms would put it to him they've got to get something to eat or they'll start a death before spring. 
That's not my lookout, said Mrs. Anderson. Nobody's responsible for other folks that haven't got enough thought to take care of themselves. Nobody thinks you are, Mom, the retorted, and nobody's <coughs> asking to get anything. We'll pay you for the full element price of 82 cents a barrel. I'll save you hauling at the town into their bargain. I've got no wit to sell, Miss Anderson answered, and Monzo knew what he meant what he said. Cat came in, then his smile flashing in his raw red face, chapped by the icy wind. We're open and above board with you, Miss Anderson. We put our tears on the table. The folks of town have got to have some of you eat or starve. Or what? They've got to pay for it. What will you take? I'm not trying to take advantage of you boys, Mr. Anderson said. I don't want to sell. That's my seed. We, it's my next year's crop. I could have sold it last fall if I was going to sell it. I'm on so quickly decided we'll make it a dollar a bushel. He said 18 cents a bushel above market price. And don't forget we do we do the hauling to boot. I'm not selling my seed, Miss Anderson said. I got to make a crop next summer. Monzo said meditatively, a man can always buy seed. Most folks out here are going to. You're throwing away a clear profit of 18 cents a bushel of a market price, Mr. Anderson? How do I know they'll ship in seed wheat in time for sowing? Mr. Anderson demanded. Cap answered in amazement. Well, for that matter, how do you know we'll, you'll make a crop? Say you turn down this cash offer and sell your wheat, hailstorms, liable to hit it or grasshoppers. That's true enough, Miss Anne admitted. That one thing you'll that one thing you're sure of is cash in your pocket, said Amanda. Miss Anne slowly shook his head. No, I'm not selling. I like to I'd like to kill myself breaking forty acres last summer. I got to keep the sea wheat to sow it. Amanda kept looking at it. Amanda took it as well. We'll give you a dollar and twenty five cents a bushel of cash. He laid the stack of bills on the table. Miss Anderson hesitated. He took his gaze away from the money. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, Cap said. Mr. Anderson glanced again at the bills in spite of himself. Then he leaned back and considered. He scratched himself. Well, he said, Father, I might sell some oats. Neither Mondo nor Cap said anything. They knew it. his mind was quivering the balance of he, and if he decided now against selling, he would not change. At last, he decided, I guess I could let you have around 60 bushels at that price. Amazon Cap rose quickly from the table. Come on, let's get the, let's get it loaded, said Cap. We're a long way from home. Miss Anderson urged him to stay all night, but Amazon agreed with Cap. Thanks, thanks just the same, he said earlier, but one day is all we have between blizzards lately. It is past the noon now. We're already late getting started back. The wheat's not sacked, Mr. Anderson pointed out, but Amazo said, we brought sacks. They hurried to the stable. Miss Anderson helped them shovel the wheat from the bin into the two bushel sacks, and they loaded the sleds while they hitched up. They asked, Mr. Anderson, how best to get across the soup, but he had not crossed it that winter, and for the lack of lemons, he could not show them exactly where he had driven through the grass last summer. You boys could spend the night here, he urged them again, but they told them goodbye and started home. They drove from the shelter of the big snowbanks onto the cruising cold wood, and they had hardly begun to cross the 
flat belly when Prince broke down into an air pocket, swinging out through the circle and dangerous place. Cast buckskin felt the snow give way under him so suddenly that he screamed as he went plunging down. The horse's scream was horrible. For a moment, Alonzo had all he had, all he could do to keep Prince quiet. They saw Captain of Stone hanging on to the frantic buckskin by the bits. Plunging and rearing, the buckskin almost took Captain's blood into the hole. It ripped, it tipped on the very edge of the well of the load of wheat, slid partly off it. All right, the mongrel asked when the buckskin seemed quiet. Yep, Captain was then for some time they worked, each unhitching his own horse down in the broken snow and wiry glass and thundering about in it, trampling and stamping to make a solid footing for the horse. They came up chilled to the throne and covered with snow. They tied both horses to a mongrel sled, then unloaded Cap's sled, dragged it back in the hole, and piled the snowy 125-pound sacks onto it again. They hitched up again. It was hard to make the numbers buckle the stiff pole straps, and generally once more, the mongrel drove, drove on across the treacherous loop. The prince went down again, but fortunately the buckskin did not. With Cap to help, it did not take so long to get Prince out once more. And with no further trouble, they reached the upland. Amanda stopped where, stopped there and called the Cap. Think we better try to pick up our trail back? Nope, Cap answered. Better hit our, we better hit up our town. We've got no time to lose. The horses' hoofs and the sleds had made no tracks on the hard hoof rust. The only marks were the scattered holes where they had floundered. In the sloughs where and these lay east of the way home. Amonzo headed toward the northwest across the wide prairie. White in its covering of snow, his shadow was, was his only guide. One prairie swell was like another. One snow covered slough differed from the next only in size. To cross the lowland meant taking the risk of breaking down and losing time. But to follow the ridges of higher ground meant more miles to travel. The horses were growing tired. They were afraid of falling into hidden holes in the snow and this fear added to their tiredness. Time after time they did fall through a thin snow crust. Captain Amanda had to unhitch them, get them out, hitch up, hitch up again. They plodded onto to the sharp cold of the wind. Too tired now to trot with their heavy loads. Horses did not go fast enough so Amanda and Cap could run by the sleds. They could only stamp their feet as hard as they walked to keep them from freezing and beat their arms against their chest. They grew colder. Amazo's feet no longer felt the shock when he stamped them. The hand that held the arms was so stiff that the fingers would not unclasp. He put the legs around his shoulders to leave the belt hands free, and with every step he whipped his hands across his chest to keep the blood moving in them. Hey, well, the cap called. Aren't we heading too straight, too straight north? How do I know? Amazo called back. They plodded on. Prince went down again and stood with drooping head while Amazo unhitched him and trampled the snow, led him out, and hitched him again. They climbed to an upland, followed around a slough, went down to across another slough. Prince went down. You want me to take the leave a while? Cap asked. When Amazo had hitched up again, save you and Prince the brunt of it. Suits me, said Amazo. We'll take turns. After that, when the horse went down, the other took the lead until he went down. The sun was low and the haze was thickening in the northwest. We ought to see the lone cottonwood from that rise ahead, Almanzo said to Cap. After a moment, Cap added, Yes, I think we will. But when they topped the rise, there was nothing but the same endless empty waves of snow beyond it and the thick haze low in the northwest. Almanzo and Cap looked at it, then spoke to the horses and went on. 
but they kept the stars closer together. The sun was setting red in the cold sky when they saw the bare top of the lone cottonwood away to the northeast, and in the northwest, the blizzard cloud was plain to be seen along, low along the horizon. It seems to be hanging off, Amasa said. I've been watching it from my way back. So I was, said Cap, but we better forget about being cold and fine. Let's ride a while. I bet you, you bet you, Amazo agreed. I could do with a few minutes rest. They said nothing more except to urge, except to urge the tired horses to walk to a faster walk. Cap led the stray straight over the rises and straight across the hollows into the teeth of the wind. Heads bent against it. They kept going. Um, they kept going until the buckskin broke through a note. Through a snow, snow crust. Amanda was so close behind that he could not avoid the hidden air hole. He turned quickly aside, but friends went down near the buckskin. Between them, the snow, the whole snow crust gave way. Amanda sled tipped, load and all, into the broken snow and grass. Darkness slowly settled down. The cap held Amanda, drive back a sled and dig out the carry the heavy sack of wheat. The snow was palely luminous of wind. Had died, not a breath of air moved in the darkness till the stars shone in the sky overhead and to the south and the east, but low in the north and the west, the sky was black, and the blackness rose, blotting out the stars above it one by one. We're in for it, I guess, Cap said. We must be nearly there, the mother answered. He spoke to Prince and moved on ahead. Cap followed. He and the sled, a bulky shadow moving over the dim white of the soul. Before them in the sky, Star after star went out as the black cloud rose. Amonzo, quietly Amonzo and Cap spoke to the tired horses them on. There was still the neck of the big slew to cross, but they could not see the swells or the hollows now. They could only see only a little way by the pillars of the snow and the faint sun starshine. Thank you for listening to this chapter. Have a good week and stay safe.